The Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper, a podcast where we talk mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other fun topics and conversations. So sit back and join us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by our friends from Hy-Vee and Toyson Ford. Appreciate you tuning in. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. If you are a first-time listener, hopefully we can keep you coming back here. On this episode of the podcast, we talked to our good friend, Dr. Crow, from Triple Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine for a little inside the training room segment, Jalen Ramsey injury and training camp. His thoughts on that, uh, LeBron James's son, Bronny James, we get his thoughts on that as well. Uh, we talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers' perceived pay cuts. He took a pay cut with the Jets. I know there's some frustrated Packers fans about that, but uh, we begin the podcast with our good friend, Mr. Brandon Berg, where he did a little deep dive into uh, a trade primer for the Milwaukee Brewers with a trade deadline coming up in just a few days here. So that's where we lead things off on this episode of the podcast, talking with Mr. Brandon Berg. Uh, All right, Brandon, so the Brewers made a trade. Mr. Santana, we already played smooth. Okay, good. I was going to ask you about that. We already already played a little smooth with Rob Thomas. So, uh, first things first. You like the move? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, the uh, first base was a massive need, Mm -hmm. and I get that some people are going to look at the numbers and say, "Well, you know, how good is that?" Well, uh, I guess quickly way to put it for you don't know. I'm sure you brought it up this year or this morning already, but Carlos Santana hitting two thirty five on base three twenty one, slugging four twelve. Right around all that's around league average, and I'm sure that you know for some people it doesn't exactly move the needle. But when you consider that as a team, Brewers first baseman this year hitting 212 with an OPS just over 600, that's a it's a significant jump yeah. to go from bad to average. So yeah. you're, I think it's a good floor raising uh, thing to do. Plus, uh, longtime veteran, you know, lauded for kind of his leadership and a good guy to have in that club. Also, also a really good defender at first base. Remember, mm-hmm. when he was young, he kind of played around the infield a little bit in his younger days. Played third base, even caught early on. So, switch hitter. You know, no real platoon split, so he's going to be out there probably every day. Um, so, it's a good first step. Hopefully the first of a couple. But, you know what? I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, Alright, so do you want to dive into your uh, Sure, sure. Right well, first now? of all, I can say that he was on the list initially. Santana was. He was, because yeah. I kind of did the list on Tuesday, but I waited till yesterday to fully fill it out just because I wanted to make sure I had as up-to-date stats as I could. Right. And he was on the list. Uh, he was under my – because I under first base, I have a couple different categories because that's where I did the most work because, of, like, that was the biggest need and, you know, you can trade for more than one first baseman and have him DH, yada, 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 so, like, you can do that. Mm-hmm. He was under my rental category, okay. which I did take one person off the list because I do feel like with this trade, um, the guy I took off was C.J. Crone. Okay, from, from the, the Rockies. Rockies. Yep. Because if you know, that, like I said, I think that with training for Santana, he's gonna play every day at first base. So you don't mm-hmm. need to get two guys that you know every day at first base. Right. Like, so because assuming they're gonna keep on the route until as when he comes back too. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming he'll be more of the DH against right-handed pitching kind of mm-hmm. spot. So, um, I mean, if, let's put it this way: if that's not his spot, then I'm not sure where he is. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, Santana. I don't think there's anyone, even when Santana or. Telez gets back, that's going to play better defensive first base than Carlos Santana mm-hmm. on that team. 
So that's his spot now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other kind of rental guy I had for first base was a guy that's going to be very popular, and that's Heimer Candelario from from the Nationals. And yeah. he's a corner infielder, so he can play first, he can play third. Uh, entered yesterday. These stats are entering yesterday because I wasn't waking up super early this morning. Too. Yeah. But uh, 256, 336 on base, OPS above 800, free agent after the year. So on the one hand, you would think that you know whatever team acquires him probably won't have to give up too much. However, he's probably one of the, if not the best bats on the market because it's just not a big market. Right. And I think that's something that people are going to, you know, when the, if they were maybe a little disappointed with trading for Santana, it's like, well, there's not a lot of big names out there because there's still so many teams that are in it. So you don't have a lot of teams that are actively looking to trade their players. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to make do with what it is, and that's a good spot to be in if you're Washington because they've got a couple players that you know they can deal that you know some years may not be uh, looked at as being you know high level players to add, but mm-hmm. they are this year just because there's not a ton. Right. So, but he's a guy that I think is going to get a lot of have a lot of interest. He's a free agent after the year too. So, like I mentioned, so I think you're going to have a lot of teams interested in that. You know, that corner infield versatility can play first, can play third. Mm-hmm. Obviously, could DH too. So now, how much? Not to interrupt you, but how much does you know Brian Anderson's return? Does that still, are, are you know, how much of a difference of an upgrade would he be over like Brian Anderson? I think. I think. A decent amount because okay. Brian Anderson got off that really hot start, mm-hmm. but he's kind of cooled off since then. And then the injury, you know, and you don't know how it's going to come back after that. So, and that's something else to consider. But if this is a team that's looking for ways to get better, you know, that's, you know, Candelario, some of that's going to be an option. Now, there's a couple other guys, too, that I kind of put down as in the category of versatility because they can play, they can play first base, but they can also play all their runs. And honestly, of all the people I have on my list, the the next guy is the one I am still the highest on trying to find a way to get, and that's Mark Canna from the Mets. Okay, uh, versatile guys played four different, five different spots this year. He's played left field, he's played DH, he's played first base, he's played right field, and he's played third base. Now you look at his numbers, and they're not, you know, again, they're not going to be super great. He's hitting two thirty seven, three thirty seven on base, seven twelve OPS, which is a little down from the rest of his career. You know, career his numbers are, you know, his OPS is more in the mid to upper seven hundreds, which is solid. Um, as we saw. With the Mets dealing David or David Robertson last night, yep. it seems like that's you know they're, they're selling off some of those pieces to start to, to begin because he was their closer. He was with, their closer with Diaz being hurt, correct, obviously, and so. a good reliever. So uh, mm-hmm. dealt him to the Marlins. So I think we're going to kind of start to see that. Now the thing about Canha is he does have a eleven and a half million dollar club option for next year. I think there's a buyout in there of a, like a two to million or something like that, but two million. I, hopefully, two hundred. That's how you have a buyout, uh, but. Um, he's someone that I think could be helpful. I mean, just with his versatility, like I said, he can play third, he can play first, he can DH, he can play a corner outfield. Um, he's someone that I would like to see them, you know, maybe make a run at because I do think that they still need at least another bat. Mm-hmm. Like you, Carlos Santana's a good start, but there's more than needs to be done. They still haven't got right. a lot of production from DH. Mm-hmm. Um, Another guy who's probably up there with Candelario as far as a player that everyone you know, everyone that's looking is going to be interested in is Cody Bellinger. Yeah. 
Uh, he's come on strong, really strong lately. Um, is he the next one though? Now that Otani is like off the table for a lot of those teams that might have been in. If you're, yeah, I, I think that Candelario and Bellinger are probably the two biggest bats you could go get. Mm-hmm. And Cody Bellinger's been really good. This is they played last night, so my numbers were entering last night. But uh, three twelve average, three sixty on base, OPS just over nine hundred, fifteen homers, forty six RBIs, twelve stolen bases. He's been even better. Uh you know, recently sitting force was entered yesterday's game hitting four sixteen in those mm-hmm. last twenty three games. Like, he's on fire right now. There's no doubt about it. Now he can play first base. He can play the outfield. You know, he's he plays a good outfield. Like it's kind of a unique combination. You see someone that can play really good in center field and also the outfield, but he mm-hmm. can do that. Um, has played right field, um, but that was most recently consistently in twenty nineteen. But mm-hmm. he, you know, he, I think it's been more of need that he hasn't had to. Now there, he's a free, and he's a free agent after this year. He's done a really good job of kind of bouncing back. Signed a one year deal with the Cubs and is yeah. in a good position to cash in this offseason. Now there's uh, some advanced numbers that say that maybe he's been a little bit lucky as far as you know his batting average and balls in play, kind of the hard hit rate. You know, generally, kind of the rule of thumb is if you're hit the hard, the more you're hitting the ball hard, like obviously the better off you're going to be. But sometimes you know if you don't hit the ball hard, the ball gets through. That's baseball. Mm-hmm. So maybe you know there may be some people that are kind of curious if he's gonna maybe come back to earth a little bit. But right now he is without a doubt just you know he's one of the hottest hitters in baseball, mm-hmm. and I think he's gonna be someone in demand. But I do think that because you mentioned Yankees, I think before, didn't you? Yeah, I think you know? so. That could be them. But um, I don't think he. Ne- I'm bringing his name up, but with the Santana trade, I'm not sure it matches up because he could play first base. Said he could play center field. Obviously, you know the Brewers have. You know, if nothing else, a better defensive center fielder than Joey Weimer, and they can't even necessarily put him in right field because I think that would just take playing time from South Fralick, and they want to give him playing time. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure this matches up anymore, but I wanted to make sure I brought his name up just because he's been really good. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, elsewhere for first baseman, I've got two different categories. Uh, I've got one that says controllable, as we often have heard about the Brewers and you know, Davis Stearns before and Matt Arnold. Now they want to try to find controllable talent. Right. You know, maybe they're not super into a rental. They want to. F- Find somebody that can, you know, be that for maybe that first baseman going forward. Mm-hmm. And you know, Carlos Santana is in his upper thirties, a free agent at the end of the year, so that's not him. Right. And the one name I put down in that category is Andrew Vaughn with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he is a fur first round pick in twenty nineteen. I think he's only like twenty five, something like that, twenty four, twenty five, and okay. twenty six, but still relatively young. You know, there's the pedigree there, former top prospect. You know, that hasn't quite hasn't quite clicked for him yet. But sometimes you see in baseball that you know sometimes it just takes moving to another team for that to click. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest example I always think of is Carlos Gomez. Yeah. You know, he he was a high prospect with the Mets, was in the Johan Santana deal to the Twins, didn't quite click for him the tw- for the Twins, went to Milwaukee, even took him a little time in Milwaukee, but eventually clicked. Yeah. Like there's a reason you'll see some guys in pretty much any sport that if you're like a if you're a former first round pick, you're getting an extra shot or two because. You know, at one point the talent was there, mm-hmm. and he's someone that you know the numbers this year, are, you know, not great, but pretty well in line with a lot of the other guys I mentioned. Two forty four average, three fourteen on base, OPS seven thirty two, which uh, right it says right around roughly what Carlos Santana's doing. But last year hit two seventy one, uh, seven fifty OPS, uh, right handed bat, and he's under team control through twenty twenty six. I believe at the end of this year is when he starts going into arbitration. Um, and he's someone that, yeah, and he's a right-handed bat. So if they're looking for kind of another one to work in there, I mean, he's played the outfield in the past, but, you know, the metrics have not been kind to his outfield play. So maybe if he gets to Milwaukee, they're going to say, look, we have outfielders. You just worry about first base. Mm-hmm. Like, let's 
you know, it's nice to be versatile, but we don't necessarily need that. Right. So he's somebody that, um, you know, in the White Sox, obviously they're in a position to sell. Like they, they, there may be a popular team for teams to look at. I mean, mm-hmm. they've already sold with with the trade of Lucas Giolito and uh, Ronaldo Lopez to the Angels. Right. And the other one, um, because it's the Brewers, and you always have to look outside the box. I mean, they they've been outside of the. And this I want, is the one I'm curious about. I, okay, because I, I, I did, and yeah. because remember 2018, they needed help up the middle. They traded for Mike Mustakas, moved Travis Shaw to second base. I think it worked out pretty well. Like it worked out, but well better than I think they thought. Mm-hmm. They also traded for Jonathan Scope. That didn't quite work out so well. Mm-hmm. 2019, they needed some uh, pitching help, and they traded for Drew Pomeranz, who had just turned to a reliever with the Giants, I believe. And he went on to become arguably their most consistent reliever the final two months of the year. Signed a big contract with the Padres for like thirty million dollars. Like that was one at the time that even you know a lot of people, including myself, were kind of like, "What's that trade about?" And it worked. So I tried to think outside the box. Who's somebody that can play first base? Who's somebody that could DH for you? That maybe you're not thinking about. This person, this player, is a free agent after this year. He has limited experience at first base. He's been better in the second half and. He's on a team that might be looking to get some younger guys playing time. This player, it's a familiar name, Yasmani Grandal. Really? He's played first base, including 20 games with the Brewers in his year in 2019. His numbers, you know, again, they're not super great. 251, 319 on, on base, OPS a little over 700. Remember, that is playing primarily catcher, but he has played first base mm-hmm. for the White Sox. Free agent after this year, the end of that big four-year deal, he signed with the White Sox after his year with Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. But he's been better in the second half, an OPS just over 800 in his last 10 games, so roughly just the start of the second half. Um, Switch hitter that, you know, hits pretty well from both sides of the plate. And I think that, you know, the what this, I think more so than Vaughn, Grandal would be a guy the White Sox could be looking to move just because he's a little older. And again, if you're looking to get some younger players, some playing time. Now, you know, that, that could work. Now, there's also going to be other teams that may be looking at him as a catcher. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see a team like the Yankees being interested in that. Um, Interesting. So, but he was someone like, it's a, it would be a very on-brand Brewers thing, even though they didn't with the Santana trade, to trade for someone that wasn't a first base and have him play first base. Right. I mean, we've seen them kind of try that with different spots before. So I was trying to think outside the box of, like, who is someone that could do it but maybe – the initial reaction would be like, well, why would they trade for another catcher? Well, they probably wouldn't be trading for him to be a catcher. And mm-hmm. the thing there, though, too, would be if you do that, assuming you keep really the biggest, the, the larger one there would be Victor Caratini. Because there have been some rumblings about maybe teams being interested in him. I don't think they'll deal him, mm-hmm. you know, just because I think they like what they have there. And especially with him being Corbin Burns' catcher. Like, you're a personal catcher, you don't want to do that. But the thing with him is maybe you could, that could allow you to kind of use those other guys a little bit more aggressively. For example, you, know, you could play William Contreras a DH a little bit when he's not catching. And sometimes you're a little concerned about that because, you know, if you have both your catchers in the lineup, what happens if one of them goes down? Mm-hmm. Well, you could still have another option. Right. So um, that was kind of my – I was kind of proud of that one because it's, it's a little bit off the beaten path. I feel, like, I, I feel like if nothing else, the Brewers would respect the fact that I'm willing to try to think <laughs> way outside the box on something. I do have two questions for so follow up here. Sure. Um, so one, I'm sure you saw uh, one of the rumors the other day was that uh, Brewers were one of the teams looking for middle infielders, and you know a couple names that were thrown out there was like Tim Anderson, you know from, from the White Sox and such. 
and I, I, you know, I'm assuming there, if that is a report that is true, you know, you're looking at the offensive production from Bryce Serang, which hasn't been at a consistent no, level. Just, yeah, Luis him and ju- yeah, him and just in general, it hasn't been there. And actually, mm-hmm. I've got that written down. They're, they came into the day yesterday, 27th in the big leagues in OPS. Mm-hmm. Would you, I mean, is there like a Tim Anderson? I'm assuming then if, let's say, they do acquire a guy like Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson would have to move over to second, yep. I would assume, at yes, that and point? Yes, he and he hasn't really played that, but he's been primarily shortstop. That's mm-hmm. that's something you can do. Mm-hmm. Um he would be someone that would be on there as long as we're talking White Sox. Um, you know, his numbers this year are not good, mm-hmm. um, so it would be kind of a you're banking on a bounce back and maybe a, a fresh start kind of a thing. Right. The biggest issue with him is just hitting the ball on the ground a lot. I mean, that's been a conversation with Christian Yelich at times. Obviously, not not as much this year as he's kind of come back to a level people are happy with. But uh, Tim Anderson hitting the ball on the ground a lot, and you know. Not quite as fast as it used to be. I mean, that's that's an issue. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they could. I mean, I, I, did, I, I had seen that yesterday and I thought about that, but I also thought, too, like, you know. Because with the banning of the shift, how much does that affect? We know Matt Arnold is all about defense. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't just, like, you mentioned Travis Shaw. You can't They're do that anymore. probably not going to bring no, you a can't guy. Do that. You, you can't, can't do, do that, that anymore. Yeah. So, that's a good question. That's a good question. But, I mean, obviously the banning of the ship didn't necessarily help Tim Anderson this year because his numbers are pretty rough offensively. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's it's an option or someone like that. Just looking to get a little more something out of there because I don't think there's any Brewers fans out there that are, you know, kind of going to have any um, – are, are going to have any issues with how Bryce Trang is playing defense. Mm-hmm. His defense has been great. The right. issue is he just hasn't hit. Mm-hmm. And to be fair to him, no one else that's played second base outside of maybe you know a couple starts at Andrew Monasterio right. has hit, and maybe that's it. Like if you get a third baseman, maybe you move Andrew Monasterio to second, mm-hmm. because I think at this point he's shown he deserves to be playing every day somewhere. Urias still down in Triple you know, Louis, Luis Urias is down there. Abraham Toro just got called up, so that I didn't put too much in that because I thought maybe that's a spot that they just try to hope that, some, that yeah. somebody steps up with. Mm-hmm. If it's Urias coming back, if they get a third baseman, and it's you know, Monasterio moving to second. Mm-hmm. You know, they just maybe they're just like you know what, because they have a lot more options there. I think we've talked about this a lot, but outside of grabbing somebody from the outside, the Brewers don't have a ton of first base options. Right. Um, I'm going to run out of time here because there's just uh, really speaking of first base. Does this move with with Santana kind of nullify Keston coming up, or do you think he's think still so. an think, option at DH? I think he's still an option at DH, but. Um, you know, it doesn't. You know, for his case, it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering if he might be someone that gets traded. Like, That's what there, I was wondering. Is there another team that says, "Well, look at this guy putting up these numbers"? If you're the Nationals, why not? Right. You know, he's a, if you can give him or, or anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was a team like Oakland, I would. Why not? Right. Because well, you, you can afford to keep him up in the majors yeah, without, a, without his options. Yeah. So, uh, and then because I, I saw this, and I know I got a minute uh, here before we get cut off, but. Um, MLB.com, you know, they got the players and, and fits. And I saw one a few days ago where there was a lot of left-handed relief pitchers uh, with, with the Brewers. One name they did not put with the Brewers, but I would he's having a really good year. The Raptor, Brent Suter. What would your th- Do you think they need another left-handed arm out of the bullpen? I do, can- but I think that's going to be Justin Wilson. Okay. Who has been reported as already back with the team, um, probably going to get activated this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, veteran lefty, I think we talked about him last week. I think that's kind of who they're hoping it is. Okay, so... No reunion yeah. with the Raptors. Unfortunately, I don't think so. And by uh, the way, and the other the other people I had on the list were a couple of outfielders that hit left-handed pitching really well, and that's Lane Thomas and Randall Grichik, because those are guys that you can platoon and right with Sal Fralick. Okay. And honestly, Grichik, I would probably be number two on my list. Mm-hmm. 
you know, realistically, because I think he'd just be a really good guy to pair out there. And as we know, the Brewers always need help hitting lefties. So right. those would be my last two, and they're both kind of the same as far as they, you know, they destroy lefties, but they probably shouldn't be playing every day against righties. Gotcha. Good stuff there, B. I love it. Love it. Summertime is a busy and expensive season. Get-togethers, vacations, road trips, cookouts, which also means lots of shopping for supplies. So why not make your shopping easier and cheaper on your pocketbook this summer so that you can enjoy it more? Seems like a no-brainer, right? But where do you go? Hy-Vee! From the best prices in the produce area to the best selection in the meat department in a huge wine and spirits area, Hy-Vee has you covered for this summer. Make Hy-Vee your go-to summer stock-up store and enjoy your summer this year. Bring him in, Mr. Doctor, I should say. Dr. Austin Crow, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports <laughs> Medicine. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Uh, hey, we got uh, you know training camps underway, and now we've got some guys who, of course, are getting injured and dinged up. And I think the big one out mm-hmm. there from yesterday, Jalen Ramsey. Now, I don't know if you've seen – I've seen a couple of different reports out there. Um, you know, it, it sounds like it's, it's his meniscus. But I've seen Mm -hmm. where some people are saying it could be out six to eight weeks and missing just a few games. Some have been saying he might not come back till December. And he even tweeted, like, you know, hey, that final push is going to be epic. Is a lot going to be be dependent on when they, I guess, open up his knee and find out what's going on with his meniscus? Yeah, so I was reading some reports on it last night. And and I think that it is, it sounds like it is meniscus. They've kind of confirmed that. Uh, The question is, is, my assumption is whether they're going to either do a repair or kind of a cleanup or trim out of the meniscus or what we call a meniscectomy. Because if you just trim it out, then you're able to return to activities much more quickly. Of course, the thing is, and you're removing part of the meniscus, which we always like to avoid if we can. So if they're able to repair it and suture it back together, that's better in the long run, but that means a more extended recovery process. So depending on the tear pattern, some people miss, um, you know, two, three months. Sometimes they can be a little bit longer. Um, again, depending on the exact tear pattern that's repaired. So that's the answer is yes. It's going to depend on what they find intraoperatively and decide to do. So like the meniscus, for, for kind of a refresher for uh, some some listeners out there, that's like the, the cushion in your knee, right? It's, yeah, it's part of the, that whole process that, that absorbs the shock in your knee. So that, you, know, you have your femur and your tibia that make up the weight-bearing surfaces. The end of each bone is covered by what's called articular cartilage. It's that white, shiny stuff. Mm. Some of the shock goes through that. Um, and the menisci, you have each of them, they're each kind of shaped like a letter C. One sits on the inner part, one sits in the outer part. And they're kind of triangular in shape, so they're think of them as like wedged between there. So when you step, some of the shock goes through the meniscus, and some goes through the end of your bone. And so the meniscus is an important part to offload the cartilage, because that's the real important part um, when it comes to weight-bearing and activity. So uh, the meniscus is, in fact, essentially a shock absorber. It has some other important parts, so it is a stabilizer for the knee as well. Um, but, but really, you know, one of the big functions is in, in fact, as a kind of a shock absorber. So when somebody like injures that or, or, or tears that, is that a lot of it due to a twisting of the knee or is it because it's a shock absorber? It's, it's from a, from a hit, like, like a blow to the knee. It, it can be both. Most commonly though, shearing injury. That's kind of the, the understanding is that when someone hits and twists, because when we see athletes or other people who come in with injuries, almost universally, there's a twisting component. So we think what happens is the femur and the tibia kind of shear past each other and the meniscus kind of gets pinched in between. But there are certainly some tear patterns that undoubtedly are from impact. So, for example, when you tear your ACL, the knee shifts, and we see this very characteristic bone bruise pattern where the tibia shifts and the femur, and it pinches the meniscus between it, and you can see these clear cuts right next to a bone bruise. So you know that was essentially from it getting pinched. 
Um, and so we can see both, but I'd say, you know, nine times out of 10, let's say it's, it's more of a shearing twisting injury. Interesting. Dr. Austin Crow, uh, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, joining us here this morning. Dalvin Cook, your former running back, uh, is visiting the, the Jets. It sounds like he's in New York, uh, uh, for, for the weekend. Now, you're you're familiar with Cook from from watching him as as a fan and such. Yep. With it's it's with his shoulder injuries. Is that something that that's that you think is going to plague him for for the rest of his career? Could he still be an every down type of back? What, what are your thoughts on Dalvin Cook's uh, future for his career? Yeah, I mean that shoulder injury has always kind of been a head scratcher for me. So you know, generally speaking, once we have an athlete dislocate their shoulder, we have a very low threshold to fix it. And if you remember, he, he had that shoulder injury for multiple seasons. He was mm-hmm. dislocating, would miss a little bit of time, come back. And it always blew my mind that he didn't have surgery in the offseason. Um, and I, I always get the understanding of like athletes wanting to avoid surgery. But, I mean, you'd counsel him that, look, the odds of you dislocating are, at that point, if you're going back to playing the NFL, like 100%. So, and sure enough, it kept dislocating, right? So, I, I don't know. It makes me wonder about what exactly the injury pattern was. If it's a standard classic, we call it a bank art tear or a tear of the anterior labrum, I mean, that has a very high success rate. So I would tell you if that's the case and the surgery is successful, low likelihood. I think there's a really good chance he gets back. And truthfully, for running backs, um, you know, in some regards, their, their legs are much more important than their arms. So, I mean, he's able to probably play with – they can have like a shoulder harness that can help. Um, so I, I don't see it being a huge issue for him. Unless, of course, it's a much more severe injury and there's cartilage injury with it or something else beyond a standard instability pattern. So uh, hard to say definitively, but I think he should be able to bounce back pretty well. Uh, I think Bengals fans got uh, quite the scare the other day, too, with Joe mm-hmm. Burrow, Burrow getting carted off. Uh, they're calling it just a strained calf at, at, at this point. So, you know, when, when you hear strained calf, you know, training camp, my first thought, Austin, you can kind of correct me if I'm way off. Is like, was he dehydrated? You know, cramps sort of thing. Is could that be a factor in in the early parts of training camp for for some of these guys? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always going to be some of that. I mean, again, there's this uptick of these injuries, and it's just due to you know them pushing themselves. Again, these guys train about as hard as anyone can, but when you get to camp, it's always a step up. So it's a combination of the muscles being tight, a combination of being probably a little bit underhydrated. Um, those things all can play a role in, in these type of injury patterns. So, I mean, when you watch the clip of it, I watched it last night, and you first thing you thought was like, uh-oh, I hope he didn't blow an Achilles, because he went from standing in the pocket to a sprint, and that explosive first step is how you, you know, sometimes will, will blow an Achilles. But, you know, it, it, luckily it was not. So hopefully this is just kind of a muscular tendinous injury, which, you know, we see very commonly. Not that those can't nag and be a bit of a problem in that regard, but um, it certainly wouldn't be a season-ending uh, surgery um, like an Achilles injury would be. Yeah, I was. I'm just rewatching that again, and it it looked really bad, didn't it? I mean, because he's not just like. Yeah. I mean, he hobbles and he goes right down to the ground, sort of thing. So it looked yeah. really yeah, bad. Yeah, that, that was my first thought. Is that he? And again, because he took like one step and then and then hobbled immediately. I'm like, uh oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but good good for him that it wasn't. So yeah. that's that's going to be. You know, it'll it might it might mess up his preseason, but. You know, those the starting quarterbacks usually don't need a ton of reps uh, to kind of get back in the swing, so hopefully it doesn't affect them too much. Exactly, and I know uh, Lions fans a few days ago probably got the scare too with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Whenever you hear non-contact knee injury, you think the worst, but it sounds mm-hmm. like he uh, escaped uh, that over there too. So uh, i, I got to ask you too, I mean, uh, earlier in the week, some scary news, LeBron James's 
uh, son, Bronny James, uh, suffering a cardiac arrest at practice for, for an 18-year-old. I mean, I mean, just how rare is that, Austin, for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, uh, you know, fr- getting ready for his freshman college season to, to have cardiac arrest at, at practice? That's got to be – I mean, obviously everybody's, you know, with the DeMar Hamlin situation too, and he just returned mm-hmm. to practice. But, I mean, you know, I know now some people are speculating, can he play, you know, and I think, you know, that – We'll get to that point when we get there, but I mean, mm-hmm. for for an eighteen year old, is that pretty rare to to have something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's conjecture because they haven't confirmed what it is. But the, the, I mean, most people in the medical field suspicion is that he probably has something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, um, and so that's what you'll see in young, healthy athletes. I mean, it's most commonly large basketball players. I mean, it just for whatever reason that tends to be that people it can happen to any athlete, but um, they're just playing a sport and then boom they drop over so it's basically a condition congenital so it's the way they're born and built their heart essentially becomes bigger right and so you think well geez a bigger stronger heart that's great the problem is is it actually starts it becomes so enlarged that it starts to like reach this critical mass where it starts to constrict the blood flow and then they basically go into cardiac arrest um so i mean there's been a number of famous players that that's happened to um through the years i'm trying to remember it was that um Chicago, uh, was it Loyola guy? Man, I can't think of his name. Um, but they were playing UCLA or USC, one of the two, and he was, he was just running down the court and boom, mm. went, went right over. I mean, unfortunately it happened. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that some people are proponents of getting EKGs and echoes done on all athletes to catch this exact condition. I mean, there's certainly other possibilities. You could have had an arrhythmia, so the heart goes into an irregular rhythm. Um, and that could be a congenital issue or you could have a heart valve issue. Um, but usually those will present in different ways. I mean, this is, um, my guess is this is going to be hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Now, the problem with that is there's not really a treatment or cure. So he, that, if that's what it is, his playing days might be done, um, which would be unfortunate. But obviously surviving this is, is what was most important. Mm-hmm. And the way he bounced back, clearly he was, he was not down for long. So that's the critical time is getting the, getting the, you know, heart pumping and blood flowing again. And, you know, otherwise you risk, obviously, of course, brain injury. Um, so it, it time will tell. I don't know if they'll ever disclose it, but if he if he retires, quote unquote, that's probably because it was hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, Demar Hamlin, obviously, returning to the practice field too. That's got to be uh, mm-hmm. that's got to be quite the the story. I mean, I, I I'll be honest, like I, I'm I'm nervous for for the guy, you know, going out there and and taking a hit or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the good news is with his condition, so that, that obviously was very different. So if you remember, we touched on that. He was basically hit in the chest at the exact, well, wrong time. I was about to say right time, the exact wrong time, where it's like this special repolarization where you get hit straight in the heart, and it basically throws the heart out of its rhythm of, of because it's basically your heart beating is a set of electrical impulses, and it interrupts that electrical impulse. So it's it's really rare, but it happens. And so it really shouldn't, he should not be at high risk for it happening again. So it's a fluke. Um, but I mean, human nature, absolutely. <laughs> you'd be, right. if I were him, I'd be nervous. I mean, you know, but I'm sure his doctors have assured him, like, look, it was a fluke thing and you should be safe. And that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's what we're, we're, we're certainly hoping. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dr. Crow, we're going to see you on the golf course next Friday, I hear, right? So we're going to see you out there kind of. Absolutely. That a boy. Yep. All right, we'll see if Dr. Crow can win those title belts uh, next next week there, too. So, uh, appreciate it, as always, Austin. Always love catching up with you and chatting with you and learning from you, buddy. Uh, I know everybody else does, too. So you have a good weekend, and we will see you next Friday, big guy. 
Absolutely, man. All right, there you go. Dr. Crow, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. With all the running around you've been doing so far to Little League games and quick weekend road trips, are you starting to realize it's time to get a new vehicle? Where do you start, though, since buying a new vehicle is a very big decision in your life? Well, take some of the stress off and make your decision easy by visiting Toyson Ford in Chippewa Falls. Family-owned and operated, you can trust Toyson Ford when it comes to finding that new vehicle for you that fits in your budget but also gets you to where you need to go. Having a proper vehicle to get you to those Little League games and family get-togethers is important, and Toyson Ford knows that just visit toys and ford today the aaron Rodgers pay cut thing this is apparently a bigger topic uh, than i thought would be um but so let's let's try to explain this here a little bit again to, to kind of revisit it uh i've got no problem doing that when it when it comes to cap stuff like like this again i like to the the first person i looked at was andrew brand you know when it when it came down because brandon as you know like Contracts are always a lot of it is such a PR thing, I believe. You know, whether it's coming from the agent, a player, whatever. A lot of it is is a PR stuff, and you got to really look at the the inner workings of that contract. So that's where Andrew Brandt. If you don't know who he is, maybe you've heard of the name, but you really don't know his background. One, he used to be a player agent. Two, he was the man in charge of contracts for Green Bay. I mean, he was the one there when Rodgers was drafted and negotiated Rodgers' rookie contract and all that sort of stuff. So he negotiated these. And I believe he is the guy that started the whole workout bonus thing for Green Bay where a lot of money was tied to workout bonuses for Green Bay because that was a way for people to come back to Green Bay in, in the offseason. Smart move, I think. Yeah, you know, very obviously smart set, a, set a tone there. Right, exactly. So he knows contracts. We know that. So when that word came that Rodgers took the pay cut, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Andrews and see it, just kind of refresh it. I'm waiting for his insight to kind of break it down. And this is what Andrew had to say when it comes to uh, Aaron Rodgers' uh, contract here. Um, And remember, Rodgers, we knew there was going to be an adjustment with the contract because next year he was scheduled for over $100 million. Yes. Yes. Dr. Evil. I did the Dr. Evil pinky to mouth. We knew it was going to happen. We knew there was going to be a restructure happening. It just had to. I mean, come on. Basic. Basic stuff there. So, Andrew said, regarding Aaron taking $35 million less with the Jets, a bit surprised, but not shocked. As uh, But as I've said before regarding Brady, Mahomes, you know, guys who have, quote, taken less, players can always, quote, help the team by moving the cap but taking less cash only helps the owners. And, you know, that's what he's referring to is like, you know, you're helping the owner. You, I think he's referring to where a lot of players like, go get yours. You know, you're you're not helping yourself. You're helping the owner so they're not spending a whole lot of, of money out there. Um, he also went on to – he answered a question from somebody that said, why didn't he do this with the Packers, Take you know, with, with this contract? He said he did. Uh, he consistently moved cap to help the team short-term. Packers are now – uh, you know, having to pay off that with the forty million dollars in uh, in dead money. So he also went on to say, Aaron took a thirty-five million dollar pay cut over a two-year period from his previous contract. Specifically, this is where we go to the hundred million thing. He took a seventy-one million dollar pay cut in twenty twenty-four. Seventy-one million dollar pay cut, but he got a thirty-six million dollar pay raise this year. So he's making thirty-six million this year. 
took $71 million less next year, which, again, we knew it was going to happen. There was no way he was going to get $100 million next year. Just none. Where I think a lot of angst from Packers fans, and I know there's like that, I even retweeted yesterday, you look at like the cap hits. He's got a lower cap hit this year than what Zach Wilson has as his backup quarterback. And that's where I look at a lot of contracts as cap hits, right? It opened up money this year. No big surprise. That's why Dalvin Cook, I think, all of a sudden, the day after Aaron's new contract, Dalvin Cook's on a plane to the Jets. Weird, right? Coincidence. Coincidence. But Aaron is still making a decent amount of money. Uh, I think I just saw, I think it was actually uh, Brant who just uh, uh, tweeted it out just a little bit ago. Let me see if I can uh, bring it up here. But um, he's still, like, Lamar Jackson, I think, is getting $80 million. Aaron, I think, is still top 10. Yeah, here it is. Uh, top 10 or top NFL earners for 2023 for this year. Lamar Jackson, $80 million. Uh, Deshaun Watson, 46. Daniel Jones, 46. Patrick Mahomes, 40.5. Kyler Murray, 39. Aaron Rodgers, 37. So it's not like Aaron Rodgers is on the bottom end of making money, right? Did he take a pay cut? He took a pay cut. By definition, he took a pay cut. Now, you can argue whether it was a big-time pay cut or, or anything like that. To the to the question, why didn't he do this with, with Green Bay, that's probably a question for Green Bay and, and Aaron Rodgers, right? That's probably a question for, for them. Am I surprised he did this? No. Because at some point, he we all know he's there for one, two years, two years. He's probably he's not going to look to max out with his deal over there, right? He's not going to look to max out for for his contract there. The, the and, only thing he's looking to max out is wins, right? And I know some people say, "Well, he should have done that for Green Bay," and I wouldn't argue with that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't argue with that. Um, but also, I would say, should he be paid right now with this new contract? Should he be paid as one of the top five quarterbacks in the league over Joe Burrow, over Patrick Mahomes, and all those guys? I probably wouldn't. You know, so am I surprised he took a pay cut? No, I'm not, because there was no way he was getting that hundred million. We knew there was going to be a restructure. Was it a bigger pay cut than what some people probably expected? Probably, I, w- I would assume so. But to answer the question, why he didn't do this with Green Bay, I don't know. You know, why couldn't he have taken a few million dollars less? Who knows? But also too. The Jets are going to have to pay the piper for this because they did add void years to that deal. With void years, they're going to have to pay it. It's going to come up. They're going to have to pay it off. Green Bay usually doesn't like doing that, although they did do it with Aaron a little bit here because they're paying it off here. It could be philosophy from front offices too. You know what I mean? Hey, maybe Green Bay was more willing to give him money now and make him a high-pay player, but they didn't want to keep pushing money off to the future sort of thing. You know what I mean, Brandon? Yep. Does that does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Uh, so, again, why didn't he do that with Green Bay? I don't know. Why didn't he take a few million dollars? I don't know. But I will say this. We see it a lot of times with, with player contract. When Aaron, like the example everybody's throwing out right now, which makes sense, 2013 when Aaron signed that contract, he was the highest paid player when he signed a deal there. But you know what? Shortly after that and for a few years, he wasn't, even though he was probably playing like the highest paid player out there, he wasn't. But... Still, there will always be that that narrative. Why didn't he maybe take a little less to help out his team? And I kind of joked, well, maybe he didn't have confidence in Green Bay that they would have used that money to bring in free agents, right. so why not just cash in at that point? 
I don't know. But to to answer the questions why he didn't do that with Green Bay, you'd have to ask Aaron that. You'd have to ask Green Bay that. I don't know what the answer is there. But does that make sense? I think so. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Big thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. A couple of quick reminders for you. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Man Cave Podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can leave us a voice message, whether it's a comment, analysis, or a question for a question and answer segment. Just get that link in the podcast description. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast if you haven't done so already. This helps other people find the Man Cave Podcast. And be a friend and tell a friend about the Man Cave Podcast. Until the next episode, I'm Dan Casper, and thank you for listening to the Man Cave Podcast.